Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. Welcome to um, 12 Steps to Freedom, an exploration of the book of Exodus. I'm always really excited to come to the new year. It has been my habit here at Grace Community Church to um, begin a landmark series at the start of each new year together. So believe it or not, this is the start of our fifth year together. Time flies when you're having fun, or so they say. And uh, this August will be our fifth year anniversary together. And in my first January here as pastor at this church, I took you to the book of Genesis. And uh, for the last four years, I have spent January through to Easter preaching you through the entirety of the book of Genesis. I hope that you enjoyed that series. If you want to check it out, you can find it on our website. It is there in its entirety. And so I was thinking when I was nearing the end of Genesis last year, what am I going to do next? And uh, naturally, in the uh, order of the Torah and the Pentateuch, following Genesis, we come to Exodus. And, you know, Exodus is a good book, a fun book, uh, a book that is not often preached chapter by chapter. And, of course, following Exodus, we get Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to do when I come to the book of Numbers, but I've actually spent some time breaking down the Pentateuch, even the difficult sections in Leviticus, to find kind of the highlight moments that I might be able to preach in such a way that it absolutely won't put you to sleep. I'm very aware that um, my style of preaching, working through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, is not exactly high fashion these days. Uh, If you watch a lot of the uh, large and significant churches out there, you will note that um, there's not a lot of this kind of Bible teaching. And so uh, I just make no apology for that. Um, That's what I do, preach through books of the Bible. And my hope in doing so is to do two things. One, to give God the glory that he's worthy of. And two, to uh, give you the encouragement that you need. I really consider a church, at the end of it all, if you strip everything away, to be an encouragement machine. I believe our job is to encourage you, to remind you that God exists and that He has loved you with an everlasting love and that there is a place for you in His kingdom. I believe that as you begin to uh, walk in that reality, you will find yourself living that life you had always hoped to live. So that's what I'm hoping to do here with the book of Exodus. We're going to preach through the first 12 chapters over the next 12 weeks, and uh, I've been thrilled to have been receiving emails from many of you saying, Pastor Todd, I have never really read through the book of Exodus, and I have never really studied it in its entirety. So this, I hope, will be very fruitful ground for you and for me. What is the um, problem with good times? You might think on the surface, nothing, nothing's this good times are good times. I, I could use a few more good times in my life. And somebody said, amen. I keep saying to my friends that uh, when we do come into a season when this um, coronavirus pandemic is behind us once and for all, it'll be the year of parties. Uh, get yourself ready now. <laughs> You'll be being invited to party after party after party after party. And uh, let's all make a note when we get to that moment when we're kind of sick of all the parties to uh, celebrate big and say thank you, Lord, for bringing us through to this moment when we're tired of all the parties on the other side of coming back into gathering together. I am really looking forward to that. I could use a few more good times. But the problem with good times is that they never last. This is really true on vacation. Are you one of those people who um, starts dreading the end of vacation even before you've started vacation? I have some people like this in my life. 
right? You have a vacation coming up, you're looking forward to it, um, but you're dreading it being over even before it begins. The problem with vacation is that you have to go home. Uh, this was often a factor for us when our kids were little. Most of our vacations consisted of piling everybody into the minivan and driving south to see Nikki's dad in uh, North Carolina, then continuing south to Florida to visit friends of ours who lived there. And the only problem with driving to Florida, somebody say amen, is that when you come back from Florida, you need a vacation from your vacation. Um, anyone who has ever done that drive with little kids in a minivan knows exactly what I'm talking about. The problem with a vacation is that it comes to an end. Good times come to an end. Um, you may have experienced this with a season of peace. You know by now that life is uh, ups and downs. It's, it's undulating ups and downs. It's undulating suffering and victory. It it kind of never ends, and uh, I have found myself in a season of peace thinking, well, enjoy this while it lasts, but know that it is going to come to an end. When I was younger, I used to think that that was kind of a defeatist mentality, uh, kind of a ho-hum, glum sort of way of looking at life. As I've gotten older, I've realized that that's just realism. That's how life is. Uh, good times don't last. So I often say to people, look, when you find yourself in a season of prosperity, you find yourself in a season of plenty, make sure to be thankful for it. Enjoy it. it it's nice. You know, when good times come, uh, you should pause and say, hey, thank you, Lord, for this. I even do this on a weekly basis. Sometimes in the middle of a week, I'll have a day that goes really, really well. Or even in the midst of a day, I'll have a moment that goes really, really well. And I have been teaching myself for the last several years to stop in that moment, notice it, and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this good moment. We all know, though, that good times never last. Those seasons of peace often lead to seasons of trial. Another thing that I know um, <laughs> from experience that doesn't last is apple pie. My sweet mom, Kathy Kirkhanelon, hi mom, love you, um, brought me an apple pie at the beginning of Christmas season, and uh, I will confess that I ate most of it myself. It was hilarious. Nikki came home. We'd had the pie in our house maybe for three days, and... <laughs> She came home from work one night, and I guess she probably wanted a piece of the pie, and uh, she said to me, is that pie gone already? And I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's gone. I didn't add that I was the one who had eaten the last piece. I didn't know that she was going to come home looking for the last piece, so I ate it. I cannot resist my mom's apple pies, and the problem with all good things is that they come to an end. This leads us to our formative question for today's leap into Exodus chapter 1, how can I survive good times that never last? There's nothing you can do to make good times last forever. Um, that might be the teachable point that you need to take away from today. Um, I know people who seem to live their life doing everything they can to ensure that it's all one good time after another, and that is futility. Good times never last. So how can I survive good times that never last? I think I uh, have some answers for you today out of Exodus chapter 1. If you have uh, never spent time with me in one of these series, I uh, read the entire chapter every single week. And fortunately, the chapters in Exodus are uh, somewhat shorter than those in Genesis. Here's uh, Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. 
so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the fields. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. How fun, how fun to uh, start a new book like this. How uh, fun to step into a landmark story. Exodus is the bedrock story of the Jewish faith. So if you have Jewish friends, you can be sure that uh, this story is central to their identity as Jews. This is a really, really famous book that contains a really, really famous story. It basically starts here with um, the Hebrews being enslaved and the story of the midwives and culminates at the end of the book with the tabernacle finally finished and the presence of God dwelling within it. Most scholars um, attribute the writing of the book of Exodus to Moses. And uh, of course, there are some who dispute that, but for our purposes, for my purposes, I see no reason to doubt um, that Moses was the original author of what eventually became the organized book of Exodus. I tend to believe um, with many scholars that the book was likely updated um, during the Davidic or Solomonic dynasty. Why do scholars think that um, much of the Pentateuch, much of the Torah, as we know it today, was, you know, formalized, organized, finally kind of put together in a form that is close to what we have today during the time of King David or King Solomon? Well, the reason is it was during those um, dynasties that the land of Israel kind of settled into safety, security. It began to get organized and formalized as a government. Um, we began to see kind of the center of power moving from being dispersed throughout Israel and Judah into Jerusalem. And uh, so most scholars tend to think that uh, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, as we have it today, probably settled into its final form sometime during the Davidic or the Solomonic dynasty, but they tend to agree that Moses was the originator of the stories that have come to us in what is today the book of Exodus. It tells the story of the people of Israel's exodus from hundreds of years as slaves in 
Egypt. And it uh, chronicles events that most scholars and theologians and church historians believe happened either in 1446 BC or 1260 BC. If you want to uh, study why there's a difference, you just look it up, you can Google it, you'll see immediately why. Some people think that the events in Exodus occurred in 1446 BC, and others believe they happened in 1260 BC. And interestingly, um, both of those dates are built from uh, the text itself, so from um, biblical stories that kind of talk about time in Israel versus time in Egypt and how much time had elapsed. And they're also rooted in uh, archaeological evidence. And both schools have uh, arguments to support, support their point of view. For me as a pastor, uh, it doesn't really matter to me if um, the events happened in, 1400, in the 1400s BC or in the 1200s BC. It's in generally the same time frame. And uh, I am tremendously encouraged that there are so many people that believe that the events recorded in the book of Exodus actually happened. I'm glad they're quibbling over 200 or so years. What's really important to me when it comes to the book of Exodus are its key themes. Um, if you want to reduce the book of Exodus to one big idea, it's this, God keeps his promises. That could be enough for you right there. Right? God keeps his promises. I can break that one uh, statement into three, if you will. One, God remembers his people. God saves his people. Freedom is possible. Okay, that's the interpretive key that I'm using to uh, expose the book of Exodus for you. God remembers his people. God saves his people. Freedom is possible. And you are not a Jewish person living enslaved in Egypt in the 1400s BC. You are living your life today right here in the Shadowlands. And so let me make it personal. God remembers you. God saves you. Freedom is possible for you. Obviously, I hope to help you find your home in the story of God and his people because of Jesus as we work our way through this very old story. Remember that God remembers his people, that God saves his people, and that freedom is possible as we take these 12 steps to freedom this new year. The first step is to figure out how to survive good times that never last. Why the idea of good times? Well, we come to good times because of verses 1 through 7 here in Exodus chapter 1. That is what is described. First, we meet the sons of Israel. Then we find out that they settled in Egypt. And then we find out that they got busy living, and the living was good. Picking it up here in verse 7, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Good times. They are living here in the fulfillment of God's original command to Adam and Eve as recorded in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. It's important to remember that beneath the text here lie the lives of real people. Okay, we have here hundreds of years of the people of Israel, the descendants of those original 70, procreating to God's glory, their joy, and the good of the world. That's what your life is meant to be about. Do you ever find yourself in a moment where you're like, what is my life all about? Why am I doing this? Remember the story of Exodus and remember that you have a place in the story of God and his people. Your job is to what? Be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. And you can do that regardless of whether or not you're married. You can do that regardless of whether or not your body works in such a way that you can technically be fruitful and multiply. Okay, if you find yourself outside of that context, there are many things that you can do with your life that are fruitful. 
There are many ways in which you can multiply your influence in the world. There are many ways in which you can fill the earth with the joy of the Lord, with the goodness of God. Okay? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. I just want you to picture all those descendants of those first 70 people being busy with the mundanity of their lives and in the busyness fulfilling God's original commandment to their forefather Adam and their first mother Eve. Okay? Let the story of God redeem your everyday life. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. It's important here to note that what we see happening as the people of Israel multiply in the land of Egypt is God fulfilling his promise to their forefather Abraham as captured in Genesis 15 verses 5 through 6. If you remember that story, when God shows up to Abraham, he promises him that he will make of him a great nation. In Genesis 15, he actually encourages Abraham to lift his eyes to the sky to try and number the stars if he can't. Of course, Abraham can't, and God has made his point. He says, so shall your descendants be. They will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. So that's what's happening here in Exodus chapter 1. God's promise to Abraham is coming true. If you want to uh, learn how to survive good times that never last, point number one, remember old promises still come true. (laughs) Somebody say hallelujah, right? Old promises still come true. Never forget the words of 2 Corinthians 1.20, all his promises are yes and amen. God comes through. This is the story of the Bible. Think of the stories of the Bible that you know and love, those that come into your memory even now as I'm talking about it. Almost every single one of those stories is a story of God coming through. I'm thinking of Rahab, the prostitute, and the two Israeli spies. God came through for her. Her family was saved because she met those two spies and gave them shelter. Okay? God comes through. This is the story of the Bible. So remember that as you seek to learn how to survive good times that never last. And also, let me encourage you to revive your great expectations. I get this out of uh, verses 8 through 12. Now, there arose a new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. Here we come to it, right here. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. They set taskmasters over them. They enslaved them. But the more they oppressed them, the more they exploded. That's the word in the Hebrew for multiplied and spread abroad. The word is literally yiflots. And it means to burst forth, to burst out, to break out. They were oppressed, but they thrived. Somebody say, that's me. Even say it by faith at home. Okay, you want to thrive. You're not thriving. Let me remind you that thriving is in your destiny. They were oppressed, but they thrived. I want you to notice that there is something unusual happening here. Usually when people are oppressed, we do not expect to see the continuation of the sentence say, but the more they were oppressed, the more they exploded into everlasting life. Generally, oppression is not a good thing, and it does not lead to something beautiful. 
That's our first clue that something unusual is afoot here, and we must realize that God is involved. That's why this something unusual is happening. God is involved. That's why something unusual is happening. They were oppressed, but the more they were oppressed, the more they thrived. If you want to learn to survive good times that never last, let me invite you with point number two to rediscover unreasonable expectation. There's probably a very good chance that you have had unreasonable expectation beaten out of you by life. Maybe you had parents who told you to stop being a starry-eyed dreamer. Let Pastor Todd re-invite you to become that starry-eyed dreamer. Let me remind you that the scripture clearly teaches us that we must become as little children if we want to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Okay, rediscover unreasonable expectation this year. Receive it right now at home. I know this is for some of you. Okay, what is that unreasonable expectation that even in this moment, God is inviting you to rediscover? Do it. Okay, do it. Have the boldness of faith to rediscover that unreasonable expectation to ask God for it and to actually by faith begin taking steps as if all his promises are yes and amen. As as, As if he's already said yes and as if it's already done. I can't, in fact, if I told you, you'd think I was crazy. I can't tell you how many times over the last few months I have encouraged myself as I walk out to my car to go to some meeting by saying, it's already done. It's already done. Okay, the victory is assured because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And if you belong to him, it's already done. Rediscover unreasonable expectation this year and keep your eyes on the master and take your cues from him and no one else. I get this out of verses 15 through 17. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Okay, so Pharaoh, after enslaving the Hebrew people, calls the two midwives who served the Hebrew people to him, says, listen, when you're delivering a Hebrew baby, if it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let it live. Here we come to the but, verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Here's the point. The midwives feared God, and because they feared the Lord, They did the right thing. If you want to learn to survive good times that never last, do the same. Okay, do the same. It's so simple, I know it's kind of unbelievable. Fear the Lord and do the right thing. That's point number three. Why? Because you've been blessed. Oh, receive it today. You've been blessed and you are building a legacy. I get this as we come to the close out of verses 18 through 21. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? Then the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So Let's just point something out here. I think when the Bible here says that God dealt kindly with the midwives, I wonder if that means that he kind of gave them unreasonable favor 
in the sight of Pharaoh the king. Because if I was Pharaoh the king, and they said to me in response to my question as to why they're letting the male children live, well, you know, we just don't get there fast enough. By the time we get there, they've already given birth. I would have said to them, what? So this is all of a sudden happening now, and it hasn't been the case for the last however many years you've been serving as the midwife to the Hebrews? Don't give me that line. But that's not what happens. They give him this kind of lame excuse, and yet they live. Why do they live? Because God deals kindly with them. I just want to point out here that there is something miraculous happening beneath the surface of the text. What we see here is God's hand of blessing on his obedient people, here personified in, uh, in Shepra and Pua. Okay, these two Hebrew midwives are personifying you and me. They are representing us here in the story. They are God's obedient people, and his hand of blessing is on them because they obeyed him. This leads us to the following question. Why should we obey the Lord? Here's one of my favorite answers when someone asks me that. Why, why should I obey the Lord? Well, you should obey the Lord to be in sync with him. Does that make sense? You should do what he does so that you can be doing what he's doing. You want to be in sync. Think about it. If God actually exists, wouldn't it be better to be his friend than his enemy? Well, obviously. If God really is who he says he is and really does what he says he does, wouldn't it be better to be about his business than about yours? Well, of course it would be. Okay, so obey him. As much as you can, live in sync with him. Why would you want to live out of sync with the God of the universe who wants to be involved with you? That would lead to you completely wasting your life. Chances are you know some people like this. Okay, so stop it. If you know, even as I'm speaking, that you have been wasting your life living out of sync with God, take today as your day to stop it and to start living in sync with him by obeying him. If you're wondering what it means to obey the Lord, I can reduce it to you, borrowing from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, my favorite passage in all of the New Testament. Okay, these are the great commandments, as explained by Jesus himself. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 22 that if you want to fulfill the law of God, that's what you have to do. You have to love God with everything you've got, love your neighbor with everything you've got as you learn to love yourself. That's it. That's where you start. That's where you abide. That's where you stay. Obey the Lord so that you can live in sync with him. We want to be in sync with the Lord because he's the Lord. Makes perfect sense to me. And when you're in sync with him, as you obey him, as you grow up into friendship with him, you can expect his hand to be upon you. Okay, this is the point of Psalm 23, verse 4. For thou art with me, thy rod and staff, they comfort me. When you stay with God, he is with you, he abides with you, his hand of blessing is upon you. Obey the Lord. Be in sync with him. Experience the blessing of God. And if you want to uh, survive good times that never last, point number four, expect a blessing while living like you're building a legacy. And we close with this out of verse 21. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Except in the Hebrew, it's much more powerful. Because the midwives feared God. He made them houses. And that doesn't mean he made them like a house to live in. It means he made them into dynasties. How about that? You were just a midwife. 
until you obeyed the Lord. And because of your obedience, his hand of blessing was upon you. And he made you into a dynasty. The house of Shipra. The house of Pua. <laughs> the Lord turned them into dynasties. The Lord gave them a legacy. This is awesome. These are two common women who are now, because of the hand of God on their life, turned into something amazing. This reminds me of you and me. We who were not the people have now been made the people of God in Christ. This is why the gospel is so beautiful. Because in Jesus, God the Son made flesh. In his perfect and sinless life where he fully fulfilled the will of God his Father. In his suffering death on Calvary's cross where he bears the penalty for your sin and mine. Where he dies in your place for your sin. Where he dies in my place for my sin. In his resurrection where he defeats bodily the power of Satan's sin, death and hell once and for all. In Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. You have been made his sister. You have been made his brother. This is what happens to you when you come to Jesus. Surrender your life to him and invite him to be your Lord and Savior. In that moment of surrender, his victory becomes yours. In that moment of surrender, his legacy becomes yours. In that moment of surrender, his inheritance becomes yours. You are adopted when you come to Jesus into the family of God himself. And then it becomes true of you that you who were not a part of the people of God have now been made part of God's family. And so all of God's promises, which are yes and amen, can now be said to apply to you. If you belong to Jesus... The hand of God is upon you. The hand that keeps promises. The hand that delivers on unreasonable expectation. The hand that, yes, disciplines those whom it loves, which is, of course, why we rightly fear him and are motivated to do the right thing. The hand that grants blessing and builds legacy. In Christ, <laughs> that hand is upon you. And I'm quite sure that knowing that will help you survive good times that never last. And somebody said, Amen.